Well, hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Summer Forecast High of 70s. I am your host, Tyler Henry, uh, and this is a show where we are documenting my own personal journey as a 25-year-old male uh, rediscovering this lost genre of 70s folk rock music. Each week where we dive in and discuss new artists that, you know, came to prominence during this time and during that type of music and really just picking apart what makes them so good and, and, and why we should be spending time listening to them. So I'm joined once again with my dear friend and co-host, Nate Bebout. Nate, how are you doing today? Aller, doing great. Recovering from an ankle sprain and ready to talk about 70s folk rock. That's good. That's a, it's a good recovery method. So um, today, this week, we're very excited because uh, this episode is our uh, our first episode with a female artist um, that really, you know, dominated the radio airwaves um, way back when. And so this week we are discussing the great Carol King, who is so important to the world of music, so important to this genre. Um, and the interesting thing about her, uh, even just from the very beginning, uh, for some fans who, you know, know this music well, she is definitely on the she's on the far end of the spectrum meaning she is less folky than some of the other artists that we have listened right. to uh she definitely was on more on the pop side but she was uh nonetheless extremely important she was a trendsetter and very influential um just with her vocals and her piano led music and so she is definitely one that we'd be remiss not to talk about because of just how important she is to the world of music and so just starting off like we always do, uh, Carol King, Nate, I would love to hear your first thoughts. Uh, what comes to mind when you think of Carol King? Uh, well, I, I think of Carol King uh, as kind of this legendary, uh, incredibly talented singer-songwriter. I think, you know, it's fair to say that she was kind of like the female version of James Taylor as far as impact and and recognition of her work Mm. definitely agree with you that uh it was the most accessible folk like it was very pop folky um in the 70s but she was herself uh, a lady of the canyon she lived in laurel canyon um with all the other uh amazing artists that we're covering over uh well some of the amazing artists we're covering on this podcast and so um the thing that makes her so so good is that she is so accessible, you know, Um, her songs almost seem too simple. You know, when you just look at the lyrics of them, uh, there's nothing about them that are really intricate or complex or even surprising, but they touch on some universals. um, And then, of course, her performance of them is the thing that really kind of catapults them into uh, just the, the stratosphere of, of amazing and excellent. So uh, I'm a huge Carol King fan. Uh, the album we're going to talk about later, Tapestry, has always been one of my very favorite albums of all time. Um, I think she's kind of one of the very rare, epically talented superstars who is simultaneously very humble and grounded. She yeah. has never, ever fit the mold of a diva in any sense. She's always been very accessible. Mm. So, so yeah, she kind of uh, occupies a, a singular space in my mind as like 
incredibly, incredibly talented, but also uh, very, very rooted um, and, and approachable. So that's awesome. I and I definitely agree. It's funny because, you know, obviously spending a lot of time listening to these artists in the car and whatnot leading up to these different episodes. And Carol King has been like the first uh, Sam approved, uh, who is my wife. She like, she's like, who is this? I'm like, it's Carol King. And she goes, I like Carol King. Like, <laughs> I'm excited for this episode. And so that's just like really funny just because her music's so smooth. You know, you can just listen to her sing for hours on end because of just how uh, easy listening it is and enjoyable. So her first album came out in 1970. Uh, and then she follows it up with an incredible, you know, maybe the best ever sophomore attempt when it comes to a second album, which was what you just mentioned, Tapestry, which came out the following year. Um, and that's the album that we're going to be diving into and picking apart with our guests a little bit later on. But um, the power that came from that album specifically uh, is is definitely noteworthy. And it's just really funny to me that it was her second album that she ever did. Um, which is just so impressive. She is def she's different in her style compared to the different artists that we had talked to in episodes past because she is piano led with her music rather than the acoustic guitar that we've become accustomed to. Um, and like you mentioned, she has very simple lyrics, but they're very powerful lyrics. And um, I, uh, I really like that about her. And you see that it is her lyric writing ability where she actually got her start, right? She, uh, she got her start in music co-writing songs with her husband of the time, Jerry Goffin, um, you know, in the late 50s and into the 60s. And I think that's important to note because um, I think it's probably fair to say that the success she had as an solo artist, uh, you know, was because of just how incredibly successful she was with Jerry writing songs beforehand. She was, you know, a household name within at least the music industry um, because of just how many top charting singles those two wrote together. It's, it, it's honestly mind boggling when you do research. Yeah, when you find out all the songs that she's written and not performed with, mm. with Goffin, you realize, yeah, her talent, um, she was already a legend. You know, this is, I, you know, in my reading, uh, exactly what you said, in the industry, she was already a legend yeah. before Tapestry came out. Yeah. Um, once Tapestry came out, she kind of ascended into godhood, you know, in the yeah. music industry yeah. because she was already so respected and revered. And in fact, I, I, I read an article that said when uh, the Beatles came over to America, um, that it was the intention of Paul McCartney uh, and John Lennon. Uh, they, they aspired to be the British Goffin and King. Wow. Um, like they, they wanted to be uh, such good songwriters in England that they were revered as much as Carol and, and Goffin were in the U.S. And so, again, when you think of the Beatles, the single best band that has ever performed, the most yeah. famous band in the history of the world, for them to say, our heroes are Carol King and her husband, <clears throat> songwriter, uh, you know, that, that, that let, lets you see the, the incredible impact that, that her songwriting had already had. Yeah, absolutely. You hear compliments like that, and it's like, you need to spend time digging into seeing what this is all about, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
they spent a lot of time in this iconic songwriting publishing house called the Brill Building, where the two of them, you know, that's where pop songs of the time, again, late 50s and 60s that were, you know, just getting churned out. Uh, and you will be extremely shocked when you look up different songs that, you know, Carol King had written, again, that she didn't perform. Songs like Will You Love Me Tomorrow by the Shirelles and The Locomotion by Little Eva, Up on the Roof by the Drifters. These are songs that if you're listening right now and you don't know them by name, pause the episode, do a quick Google search, and you're going to immediately know what songs those are. And you're going to think to yourself, oh my goodness, Carol King wrote this song. It's really, really impressive. And again, she uh, eventually collaborated with the Beatles. They, she wrote some songs with them. Um, for the birds as well which again was a band that david crosby's band that we referenced last week in our episode and so um her influence was just so widespread amongst the uh music industry and again this is before she released any music of her own this is just writing music with her husband for bands across the country which is really an interesting thing for me um because I don't know, maybe I'm just naive to what music is like today, but just to think that like this couple is writing your music for you, that was like really, really interesting for me to learn about and to read about. It, it's interesting. The other part of it is that she was so young yeah. when she was yeah. writing these songs. I mean, uh, what is she? She just turns 30 when Tapestry comes out. You have to correct me if that's wrong, Tyler. But I mean, a lot of this amazing songs. Uh, especially these early ones that are recorded by some of these other artists. Um, she's, she's a teenager. She's just starting to be in her early twenties. Uh, and she's, she's articulating these incredibly and the diversity of styles, you know, from doo-wop to jazz yeah. to, to rock to folk. I mean, she's writing for every genre. Um, obviously one of the most famous songs that she wrote uh, that was popularized by another recording artist was uh, Natural Woman that was uh, sung mm. by Aretha Franklin. Yeah. And I love the story about that. So, so her and her husband are so famous at this point that how they end up writing a song for Aretha Franklin is that a limo pulls up to them as they're just walking down the street in New York. Wow. And the window rolls down and it's Aretha Franklin's producer. And he leans out the window and he says, I want you guys to write a song for Aretha. And she goes, okay. And he says, I want the title of the song to be natural woman. <laughs> and then he, and then he literally rolled up the window and he drove off Carol and her husband go home. They write it that night. Wow. They go back to the studio the next day, preview it. And within three weeks, Aretha Franklin has recorded it. It's released. It's the incredible smash hit that, that yeah. it became. Um, but I just like, can you imagine that? Like, uh, that, that's, the, that's the stage that they're at, that like, they just get spotted by random music execs walking down the street and he rolls yeah. up on them and tells them to write a song for them, the most sought after entertainer on the planet, I think, yeah. you know, like she was yeah. all in her glory at that point. Um, so yeah, I just think we couldn't overstate her impact. Um, across genres across musical taste um, you have heard songs by carol king mm -hmm. even if you don't know who carol king is for sure yeah and i think that is a great example as well of just um obviously she was respected but we know like the greatest form of flattery is imitation right and so even uh 
even though she wrote a ton of songs for those different groups, we also see tons and tons and an exhaustive list of bands during that time and shortly thereafter that covered her music. And we see, like, as you mentioned earlier, uh, her dear friend James Taylor, one of his biggest hits of all time was a cover of her song, You've Got a Friend. And I just think that's so funny because people hear that and they're like, oh, it's a JT song. And it's like, no, he actually just like borrowed it from a friend and it just blew up. And so it's so, um, it's wild. And it seemed to have been just like a different world within the music industry of um, this lady was just cranking out hits after hits after hits. Um, and it just shows just how important she is. It, it, it's, it's awesome to see. So another thing that I think is really important for to mention about her that I think you kind of alluded to there with the Aretha Franklin song is um, one thing that we've been talking is a common theme about these different artists that we have been discussing on the show is their role in social and political activism, right? And uh, Carol King is so widely thought of as a um, an activist and a supporter and somebody that was really trying to push uh, black culture and the black uh, music industry into the limelight by, I mean, she wrote music again, like we mentioned, obviously for Aretha Franklin, but she wrote music for the Shirelles. Uh, and that song was the very first song. It was a number one on the, on the charts, uh, but it was the very first song by all women, by an all women group. Right. They wrote that song. She wrote a song by the Drifters, whom I love. I actually saw the Drifters a handful yep. of summers ago. Yep. They came to this like uh, place that our family goes to vacation every year, and uh, they are quite elderly now. Um, but yes. <laughs> but they still got yes. it. They still got it. It was still a great show. Um, but anywho, it's so it's so awesome of how just revered she is within these different minority communities. Because yeah. and if you listen to her lyrics, I mean, she is pushing for equality and she is pushing for. Yep. Uh, equal representation and um, I think just in today's day and age that's something that is noteworthy of saying you know 50 years ago she was forging ahead and you know it's it's she's in the midst of the civil rights movement and the aftermath that came from that and um, I just think that's really important to note and you know the the year that tapestry specifically comes out is that 71 that comes out Tyler yes yes 71 Um, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the American political landscape. And people kind of thought one of the reasons tapestry maybe did so well is it doesn't take some of the issues of the day head on and kind of allows itself to be just maybe kind of like easy listening Mm. um, or a nice comforting distraction. Uh, But I think that's actually a misread on the album. I think the album is all about, the personal experience, and we can talk more about that when we start talking about the album. But but she, yeah, clearly, um, she she wasn't, you know, playing at political rallies like Crosby, Stills, and Nash were. Yeah. But she was communicating exactly by the artists she's working with. I mean, um, you're only touching on some of the the black artists, you know, uh, with Aretha, the Drifters, the Chiffons. Uh, Maxine Brown, she wrote for. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, Oh No, Not My Baby. She wrote that song for them. That um, she wrote songs for the um, Little Eva, the 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 locomotion song that we talked about. So, yeah, she she is she is coming at the same issues 
but with a different perspective. And, yeah. and uh, you know, Carol King, uh, born uh, Carol Klein um, by a Jewish family in New York, uh, there is almost a little bit of a Simon and Garfunkel quality uh, about her of this, like, um, her ability to not necessarily take things on head on, but to expose a, a human intimate mm. understanding of something yeah. that she makes accessible, but it's also uh, kind of like really sophisticated in the way that it gets under the armor um, and it kind of universalizes human experience in a way that only music can do. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely power in her lyrics um, that are eye-opening. And at least, you know, at one point, first listen, you're listening to the songs and you're like, wow, these are really good, catchy songs. She does a really great job. Um, And as they catch your attention, you continue to listen to them. You just get revealed to you more and more in depth of what she's trying to get across with her music, which I think is really powerful. We've talked before on different episodes of just how interconnected the artists were of you know 70s folk rock and i just thought it was interesting you just you just uh pegged uh paul simon and again paul simon was great friends with jerry goffin um and that's where she got she became friends with this little group and we're writing songs with the best songwriters of the time um and that's where she really uh that's where she got her start but she lived in laurel canyon and uh, she became best friends really with james taylor uh, and, you know, as we've talked about this uh, free love movement that, you know, just overtook the 70s and whatnot or got its start in the 70s, uh, JT and Carol King have been best friends for 50 years and, and nothing more. And I just think that's so funny. They traveled and toured so much together and they played shows throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s, even up until now. And uh, that's one thing that I wanted to plug as we kind of move into just like music that stood out to us. I I don't know if you listened to this at all, but I fell in love with this live album in 2010 of James Taylor and Carole King live at the Trabador, Trabador, something like that. Yeah. Trabador. Yeah. It, oh my gosh, it was so fun to me. Like their commentary in between songs was so good. Um, The music of different renditions and they were actually partnering with uh, their original band, all of three of the members that they traveled with all those years ago. Um, and so that live album has really stood out to me as just something that I really loved, really enjoyed. They sang both JT and Carol songs. Um, and well, so, like, I'll tell you, this is, this is how deep into it I have been. I saw that uh, tour. I didn't see them at the Troubadour, but I saw James Taylor and Carol King as they were on tour for this yeah. live album. Uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Wow. So my friend Kyle, his parents had just had their, I don't know, 40th wedding anniversary. And mm. so for anniversary tickets, they got tickets to this show and they bought one for Kyle and they said, Kyle, you can bring a friend. And so he, I was the lucky guy who got nice. to go to that show. And so it was, it was incredible. I mean, like, um, I think now, especially, you know, I see JT, um, performing some stuff on youtube and he's starting to really look old right like um but but you know 10 years ago um they were still in that kind of like seasoned sage you know like they still had their voices they still had their their playing ability and it was a little bit of magic i will tell you that that show um i mean because every song they get up is a is a hit you know it's like they don't have any song they've got two hours worth of like 
hits that they yeah. can just play back to back to back. Wow. It was an it was an amazing it was an amazing concert. I'm I'm very jealous to hear that honestly. That's awesome. I uh, I loved when she was talking about one of the songs that they had just played, and again, it speaks to just the power of music. Where when she found out that they were going to start doing this tour for this, uh, you know, or like these different live shows, yeah, and they were pulling songs that they had done, you know, repeatedly in the '70s. Uh, she said she was worried at first because she had to do a lot of research of you know the lyrics and the different uh, chords and whatnot. And so mm-hmm. she she said on for one of the songs she said I was nervous because my my head did not remember the song, my fingers sort of did, but my heart definitely did. Oh, and good. I think that's just like a great quote of like uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of like riding a bike, but at least um, even when our even when we physically struggle, uh, there's like an imprint that's left on our emotions that only music can do. And I think that was cool. Yeah, there's there's definitely I, I love that. There's a lot of truth to that. Yesterday I was sitting at home and I was just playing on the guitar and I played this chord shape. Uh, it was like a E up high on the neck with a like a seventh or a ninth or something added. And I was like, oh, this is the first chord of this old worship song I used to play. Um, and it's that uh, water deep song, Those Who Trust in the Lord. And so I was able to like play the song because my fingers remembered it exactly what she's talking about. Um, and there was like, so all of a sudden now my fingers are remembering the song. I do not remember the lyrics at yeah. all. <laughs> but again, then my, I start remembering the feelings I had when I was singing yeah. the song 15 years ago. And so I really resonate with that. I think, you know, the other thing that we've talked about is all of this interconnectedness with all these artists that we're covering on the 70s folk rock thing. Um, so she records Tapestry at A&M Studios in Hollywood. And there's, there's three uh, studios. There's Studio A, Studio B, and Studio C. So when she's recording Tapestry, she's in Studio B. In Studio A, the Carpenters are recording. Um, and in Studio C, wow. Joni Mitchell is recording her album, Blue. Oh, no. <laughs> and so, like, and, like, people are just, like, breezing through. Like, so James Taylor and Joni Mitchell sing background vocals on will you still love me tomorrow on that album Mm -hmm. because they were just in the area they were just kind of hanging out uh and they're like oh hey will you guys jump in the studio real quick and sing background on the song and they're like sure and so like yeah i just love this time in music when it seems like all of these artists are hanging out they're connected they're friends they're showing up on tour with each other they're singing on each other's albums yeah they're doing each other's songs. Um, there's a lot of sharing and, and goodwill that you, can, that you can sense in the music overall. Yeah. And that just, you know, that just shows, again, what we've talked in probably almost every episode is how each of these artists, their main focus was the music. They believed that there is an art and a beauty in music, and uh, they just wanted to do what was good. And Carol King is no exception. She uh, definitely took that to heart as well. Yeah, her whole catalog is is great. Just some of the the songs that she she wrote for others uh, are just really really incredible. Um, yeah, you think about uh, she wrote the song Chains, <laughs> the the Beatles yeah. and others did. Um, she wrote the song Some Kind of Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, she you know. Um, she wrote uh, for Mariah Carey in 1991. Um, oh, wow. And uh, the song, uh, If It's Over by Mariah Carey that came out in 92. 
Hmm. That that was a Carol King song. So I just, <laughs> for me, uh, it's it's bigger than just her own personal catalog. Uh, is the stuff that I keep coming back to. Um, although I will say, Carol King is is fantastic in that it's not like her voice is amazingly impressive, right? Um, but she uses that instrument to convey so much meaning and power and nuance. Hmm. Her range isn't that big. She's kind of got like a like a stunted alto range. She's not soaring up into soprano range. Um, she does belt out at times, but it's never like floors you. Um, but the emotion that she conveys and the intimacy that she conveys with her voice, yeah. um, it, it almost makes she, the, the limitation of her range or her, or her vocal talent um, is almost insequential because the the power and the the universal emotion that she's conveying comes across so i think that's another thing to recognize is here's this this woman who's you know made more hits in her lifetime performed more hits is on the stratosphere of like yeah the beatles aretha franklin you know james taylor like these incredible top tier artists who've ever mm-hmm. lived and performed and yet it's not because she was outrageously vocally talented. I, I think that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. It is for sure. And I will tell you, that's funny to me that you mentioned that because I found myself throughout these last couple of weeks um, when I'm listening to her, um, just like eager for times where I feel the music building and I'm just waiting for her to belt. Like, I'm like, come on, just hit it. Just go with it. And, you know, that's just not her, that's not her game. Like, she, uh, she's very controlled, as you mentioned, with her. She knows what she has. And there were some times where I really wanted her to let loose. But, uh, you know, it's still good regardless. And also, to your point there, as uh, we begin to wrap up, I thought a really funny, uh, fun fact about her specifically. And obviously... With, especially with that earlier stuff, we went to attribute credit to Jerry Goffin as well. Yep. Um, on the Billboard Top 100 list, throughout her career, she wrote 150 of them. And so she wrote more top songs than the list actually contains. And I thought that was mind-boggling to me. Obviously, over a, you know, a whole career, but it's just wild to me that you could literally make a Billboard top 100 song list and it could be exclusively carol king influenced yeah um yeah she she was she was incredible um and i think you know yeah she certainly uh jerry goffin and her certainly um were the dynamic duo while they were together there's no question but i think certainly that shift of tapestry because tapestry is the first album she does solo she shows she can she could do it on her own. <laughs> she yeah. she can hang. There's some songs in that in that record that are just mind-blowingly good. Yeah. Um and so no 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 disrespect to to Mr. Goffin because he was clearly uh part of the team and very very talented himself. Uh but when when they parted ways he was still writing songs too, but we just don't talk about them. <laughs> right? yeah. We are still talking about the songs that she wrote after the fair. Yeah. Um so yeah, I 
she's she's a legend she's a living legend she's she's still with us um th- there's a broadway musical uh that that yeah. came out uh kind of around around her song catalog um that i've yet to see i think it would be amazing to to watch some of those things but uh she's also got an autobiography that i am kind of yeah. working through and there's just a lot of really interesting and she she's she's very humble i think that's yeah. the thing um you know i read graham nash's autobiography for last week mm-hmm. and he's very like <laughs> sex drugs and rock and roll you know but carol king she's not she's <laughs> not all about that she's she's about transcendence she's about connecting she mm-hmm. she's trying to universalize the lived experience that human beings share uh i think she's she's very good at it yeah yeah definitely she uh that uh musical that you mentioned it actually won a couple of tonys like it was very well received yep. within yep. the theatrical world which i thought was just awesome yep. um so yeah let's wrap up here uh, as we end our discussion get ready for our guests to come on with the segment that we like to call where to hear her now where nate will share with us some modern day equivalents of where we can find some uh lingering sounds of carol king's influence so what do you got for us today well, when I think of Carol King, I think of female vocalist who plays the piano. I mean, mm. that's and and that's writes yeah. amazing songs. I mean, yeah, like she's kind of the quintessential. Um, and so, because she is more on the pop side, I do kind of have recommendations that kind of fall outside our normal folk. Okay, but I don't think that you can listen to a Vanessa Carlton or a Sarah Bareilles or even a Nora Jones on the jazzy side mm. and not hear Carol King coming through. Yeah. I would say on the folk side, if you want to, if you want to stretch it into folk rock, I would say Brandy Carlisle is another artist that I can see and hear Carol King in. But th- that's where I would say, if you love Carol King and you want a kind of a more contemporary equivalent. Yeah. I would say, listen to Vanessa Carlton, listen to Nora Jones, Sarah Bareilles. Yeah. They, they've kind of got that. Um, female rock on the piano amazing lyrics uh singing from the heart bringing you in uh those would be my recommendations yeah those are all really good thank you for that and so that concludes our conversation uh with nate and i and we will uh see you in just a bit stick around because we're going to bring on two of our friends to come discuss this great album that carol king released in 1971 by the name of tapestry excited to be back with our two guests here today where we are going to be discussing carol king's tapestry album which came out in 1971 a very important work of hers that has lasted the test of time um, and we are excited to dive into this we have two guests um, that i'm super stoked to hear their different opinions and uh, just to see as we have been forced to be separate uh, you know in these past months so the first of which was a dear friend of mine in college her name is olivia and um, it's really good to see her uh, because, you know, after you graduate, sometimes lives get crazy. Um, so it's really good to see her. How are you doing today, Liv? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I love that you're doing this. I think it's really cool. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, and the second of which is uh, a mutual friend of Nate and I's. Uh, she goes to the Nate's church, which was the church I attended in college. And uh, she is has a history of music herself. And so her opinion is, you know, highly sought after on this podcast. So her name is Anne. How are you doing today, Anne? 
Great. Thank you. I've been listening to your podcast. Um, we really like it. My husband took me to the African safari wildlife thing in Port in uh Yeah, Port Clinton. Port, Port Clinton, yeah. Yeah. And uh as we were feeding the bison, we were listening to your podcast. It was, hey. I think they appreciated it. That's good. They go hand in hand, I think. So <laughs> I do I really appreciate that. So we are excited to have both of these ladies here on the show. A fun fact before we get started that uh, about Olivia that we just realized only a couple weeks ago is that it's been well established through school that Liv and my wife share a birthday, uh, but we only found out just recently that myself and her husband share a birthday. So we are like birthday couples, which is actually kind of funny. <laughs> the ultimate birthday buddies. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So that's good stuff. <laughs> Anywho, uh, let's get started. Um, Anne, we'll start with you because you really love this music and I know that you really love Carole King as well. And so I guess just if we're taking a, you know, a 10,000 foot view, I would love to hear just what your favorite thing about Carole King is, something that sticks out to you about this artist in particular. Um, so I, I really probably am only knowledgeable about Tapestry um, I, I don't know too many of her other albums, but, um, a huge Carol King fan. Um, so kind of like my impressions, is that what you're asking? About? Yeah. Yeah. That's okay, fine. Yeah. Cool. Um, so uh, I have a lot, sorry. Um, <laughs> I grew up with like super hippies. Awesome. Um, my mom went to Woodstock in 1969. Wow. She just hitched a ride with some folks that she didn't know and she said it was disgusting and she couldn't <laughs> hear the music <laughs> um and both my parents got pretty deep into the 60s and they they hitchhiked across the country um and so obviously i grew up with their their music taste hmm. and so i grew up listening to a radio station from cleveland called Magic 105.7. Have you guys? Yeah, I love that station. <laughs> I do not know that station. <laughs> well, so when I was a kid in like the 80s and 90s, they played mainly like 50s, 60s, and 70s. And Nate, I, you, you're nodding your head. Would you agree that it's turned into Yacht Rock in 80s? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I, like. I, I love both iterations of 105. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so I, I just grew up listening to the oldies and mm. one of which was, was Carol King. And I, you know, I only really ever heard her, her hits. Mm -hmm. Um, so in high school, I moved away from like my favorite band, which are still my favorite band, the Beatles. And I started to kind of check out different, just like folk music and other kind of oldies. And so I found Carol King. Um, and so I bought, I bought her CD, um, when I was like 17 or 18, um, of Tapestry and I put it in the CD player and was just amazed at how beautiful mm. and, and mellow, like it was, I just remember like the word mellow. Mm. Yeah. It was mellowing in my soul. Yeah. That's good. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> and I remember feeling really jealous as well like because i i was a, a musician at that point 
and just like how does somebody write such beautiful songs and how mm -hmm. can I write such beautiful songs? Um, I also noticed that, um, and this still to this day is really amazing to me, um, I tend to listen to music that has a lot of effects. Um, she does not really have many effects. No. Um, her vocals are just really simple. Um, I, I was talking about this with Andrew. We both are insecure about our vocals, and so when we're recording music, we always do like a million vocal tracks to hide the imperfections. Um, and, you know, it just doesn't sound like she does that. I feel like if you went to see her live, it would sound the same as, yeah. as Tapestry. Um, I also noticed, and I, I just, I love this about all folk music, um, the imperfections are just so beautiful that her, some of her vocals even sound nasally or sharp or flat at times. Yeah. And there was no auto tune back right. then. Mm -hmm. um, and so it just feels real to yeah. me. Um, and I was going to. I was going to ask you because I know you record um, and you, you know some of the logistics behind. Well, when I listen to this album, it sounds like she's got almost no reverb at all on her vocal track, which is one of the reasons I feel like it feels very intimate. It feels like very exposed, like you're saying, like because there's no reverb or, or other effects on it, it just feels like, yeah, she is in your living room or she is just singing it straight into your ear. Um, and so I, I think one of the reasons that the, the album, even though sometimes lyrically, they're very kind of universal and very easily accept, assess, accessible, I think her performance really makes it intimate and vulnerable uh, because of that. And yeah, you're talking about sometimes there's a little like maybe sharp or flat. Well, there's other stylized stuff that she does where I think like sometimes she cracks her voice on purpose to like mm. show some emotion so yeah there's just a lot about that um performance that draws you into the album for sure yeah i love that that you were talking about the intimacy you know it when i listen to tapestry it feels like it's a living room session it feels mm -hmm. like she and the whole band are are in my living room with me you know yeah. so it feels comforting it feels like you're your home um and just something else that I wanted to mention, and I guess this probably fits more with fun facts, but I just thought this was fascinating, that um, her album was one of the best-selling albums of all time. It sold over 25 million wow. albums um, worldwide, and she was uh, on the Billboard 200 for 15 consecutive weeks, and the only person to beat that and i say person i i don't think it's female artists i think just any artist the only person to beat that record was whitney houston with the bodyguard uh mm. <laughs> 22 years later wow i mean that's just amazing how how i feel about this album is probably how everybody feels it's just so authentic you know um yeah. she's just she's just showing all of her talents and her flaws. Um, another thing at this at the before I started listening to Carol King, all the music that I was listening to was very guitar heavy. Yeah. And obviously her instrument of 
of choice is piano, and so it's very piano heavy, which is really cool. Um, and I also, just the last thing I wanted to say, I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot. No, you're fine. I just get really excited. Um, is that I was a James Taylor fan before I was a Carole King fan. Mm-hmm. And so I remember being 17 or 18, listening to this album for the first time, getting really excited when I heard James Taylor singing because he has just a really unique voice. Yeah. And I was like, is that James Taylor? And I, I looked through the CD booklet, which, you know, like the youngsters of today, they don't really, people don't buy CDs, so you don't get the CD booklet. And I went to that track and I found out that it was James Taylor. And I just remember feeling really excited mm-hmm. and like I had found a treasure. So it was like the CD booklet was a treasure map. But instead of finding like an actual physical treasure, I found an answer. Hey, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I love that a lot. And I love... um you know, the album Tapestry, a source that we've been really pulling from in past episodes is the Rolling Stones top 500 albums of all time, where they compiled so many different producers, engineers, artists, whatever, and they voted. Um, Tapestry ranks 36, which up to this point in our show, this that is the highest ranked album of including all Simon and Garfunkel and Crosby, Stills and Nash, like this mm-hmm. number 36. So like this album is is a very important album like you said not just to you or us but really to everybody it's a very important album um and so Liv I'd like to uh bop over to you and uh and see you know not knowing what your knowledge of Carol King was before this uh just what was something that stood out to you when you first uh took this record for a spin yeah um so it's funny that you had Ann go first um because now I feel like I'm kind of stealing her answers. But truly, I could show you what I have written down, and it's it's all very similar. Um, my first thought was just kind of how genuine it was. Yeah. Um, it didn't seem like she was singing for anybody else. She was singing how she thought she wanted to sing and what mm-hmm. felt good to her. Um, and so I loved that about her, that she didn't have this kind of showy... I'm going to please the people type of vibe. She just kind of was herself. Um, and I, I think the very first song that I heard, because um, I just pulled it up on Spotify and, you know, did it randomly. Um, so the first one was Beautiful. And yeah. one ended up being um, one of my favorites. So I think that one just kind of set the tone for that authenticity that I think came out um, yeah. early on. Um, but I think another thing that was also very similar to what Anne had said was the diversity on the piano. Um, not mm. even just the diversity like compared to other music that I normally listen to, but diversity within the album. Yeah. There are just some songs where it's really, really upbeat and you can just imagine her playing with so much energy. But then there are other songs that she's hardly even touching the keys. And yeah. So it was it was really unique to see that much diversity on the piano, especially compared to, like Anne was saying, the things I normally mm-hmm. 
about that. My other first impression, um, I'm, I've never been good at remembering artists' names or mm. the names of songs. So when you said Carol King, listen to Tapestry, I was like, okay, this will all be 100% brand new. I'll give it a shot. I'll go in all eyes open. And I knew, I wouldn't say no by heart, but I definitely was familiar with probably about half of the album. Yeah. Um, which just really caught me off guard because I was expecting to not know anything. So just recognizing truly how popular she was, so much so that I was raised around it and I it was ingrained enough in me to remember it even probably 10 to 15 years after really hearing it. Yeah, yeah, that is cool. Um, I will say that that was the first thing that stuck out to me as well is I, I put on tapestry when I was going on for a jog when we were first starting the research for this episode and um, very similar to you. It was like, I knew song after song after song and it dawned on me, I was like, holy smokes, I've been a Carol King fan for many years now and I had never known it, right? Uh, which again, it just speaks to her level of influence. Um, and, you know, she also has different songs on this album that she had written in the past for other artists. You know, we see Natural Woman was written for Aretha Franklin, uh, but then she kind of takes it back uh, for this album. So like different songs were made famous by different people. Um, but that was really, really funny to me as well, because I realized that I actually knew Carole King's music. Uh, I, I first listened to this album when I was in high school. Uh, there used to be this thing called Columbia House Music. Maybe Ann remembers it. And you could sign up to get like 20 CDs for 99 cents. But then you had to buy a CD from them one a year for the next five years or something. And of course, those five CDs cost like 20 bucks with shipping and handling which was uh, a lot of money to spend on a CD uh, in the 90s. But somehow uh, their catalog was limited enough that after I picked all my like Nirvana and whatever albums that I wanted in the 20, Carol King's Tapestry was also one of the 20 that I picked. So I have been listening to this album since high school and I, and I love it now in a different way than I loved it then. I think the thing I would say about it is she makes it seem very effortless. I mean, the, co the cover of the album is just her like sitting in her house with the Tomcat, you know, like hanging out. Mm -hmm. it, it, like Ann said before, it feels like she walked into your living room, pulled, you know, the upright piano, you know, the key cover up and just starts plunking away and singing these songs. Um, I, I mentioned before that her voice isn't like amazing as far as range or anything but it's so evocative and, and, um, and draws you in. So I just think that it takes incredible talent to make stuff like this seem easy. And that's what she's done. She, she makes it seem easy. She makes it seem, and man, some of these songs are hauntingly beautiful. I mean, some of them are very uh, upbeat or whatever, but I think her real strength is when she starts turning toward the melancholy and the longing like that to me is the real good stuff that she offers because then she gets to kind of showcase some of those inflections in her voice 
um, and the sensitivity to really make you feel the feelings that, that she's drawing out of you. Um, while we're still on that question, I wanted to say one thing to Olivia and one thing to Nate. Um, Olivia, I loved how you said that you felt like she wrote the album for herself. And I was, that just like gave me an insight. Um, I wonder if she did that because so many of these songs she had written for other people that had become famous. And I wonder if there was like a part of her that felt insecure. And she's like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to write it as, as if it's for myself. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. I have not read anything about that, but I, I that's how I would feel. Yeah, that's a cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like that thought because I just imagine people being in her shoes all the time. And it seems like you would so often have to kind of fit the categories of your producer or whoever it may be. And so to hear someone just so genuinely because none of her songs really seem to tell the same story either mm -hmm. it it kind of speaks to hey this is my life or this is the these are the emotions I feel and maybe these are things that I don't personally relate to but I'm gonna write about anyways but just that she seems comfortable with doing kind of just whatever came to her mind yeah um, and then, Nate, I wanted to say that one of the things I love about folk music in oldies, and in particular Carole King, is I think she probably wouldn't have won American Idol right. or America's Got Talent. But that's why I think she means so much to so many people, because mm. she still is so great. It's a, I'm, you know, I'm not talking down about her. I think she's so wonderful. But, you know, for me, I, I sing. And I can tend to be insecure about it. And when I hear her, I'm like, okay, like, obviously she's still amazing, but I'm not going to win American Idol. She's not going to win American Idol. And yet she's touched so many people's lives and, mm -hmm. and has had, has enjoyed a really amazing career. Yeah. And so that's just really inspiring. Yeah. So with that, let's talk about some of our favorite songs on the album. Um, these are the songs, you know, that stood out to you that you found yourself uh, belting out in the car. And so Liv, we'll start with you because um, Olivia, you know, we went to school together and she was a part of uh, The Well, which is this organization on campus. And so she would lead worship and she's got some pipes on her. And so I uh, would love to hear what the songs were that you were singing out in, the, in your car as you were, you know, listening to this album. What were some of your favorite songs, Liv? So my very favorite song was the first one I listened to. So it was beautiful. And my, my favorite part about probably music in general is the lyrics. I obviously love, you know, the sound behind a song as well, but it's the lyrics that really, mm -hmm. really get me. Um, so those lyrics just stood out to me a lot, especially with what's, you know, everything that's going on in our world right now, people are so concerned about just other people and like how they're being presented and just everything is so complicated, but she simplified yeah. it and she says, you're as beautiful as you feel. And I just, I think that's a really nice reminder that we can give love and show love to the people around us when we feel it in ourselves. 
And Hmm. so to have confidence and to be able to even empower yourself enough to be able to go out and show someone that there's, there's something different about the spirit in you. You, you bring more life, you bring more beauty because you're not insecure. You're not self-conscious about everything. You're as beautiful as you feel. And eventually people will pick up on that and they'll start to feel that as well. Um, even if they do have mm. deep rooted insecurities. Um, so yeah, that's I, really good. Yeah. I just, I love that. And she starts off the song with, you know, show love to others. And I just think it's a really well-written, mellow, authentic song. So Beautiful was definitely my favorite. I found myself singing that one a lot. Um, My second favorite was Where You Lead. And I love that Mm -hmm. one because that was one of them that I had known coming into this experience. I knew it pretty well. Um, A lot of people might know it from like Gilmore Girls, watching Gilmore Girls growing up. Um, That's where it was first familiar to me. And then my parents would listen to it. So I love that that one has kind of a story to it, it seems like. There's, There's this element of progression throughout the song that just keeps you engaged, keeps you kind of wondering mm-hmm. like what's going to happen. And the overarching theme is just, you know, where you lead, I will follow. And that takes so much humility and just authenticity going back to that theme um, to write a song like that. Um, but on top of the lyrics, I also just love that that one is kind of fun and upbeat. And mm-hmm. um, it's a really good one to sing in your car or I found myself singing that one a lot when I was making dinner. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a very good artist to listen as you're cooking meals. So I appreciated that about her. Um, and then my third favorite, which Tyler might come as a surprise to you, because I think you know a little bit about my musical taste. Okay. Pretty calm. <laughs> yeah. um, but I really loved Smackwater Jack. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> It was just honestly funny to me. Like listening to it was just fun and lighthearted and it brought out a different side to her that mm-hmm. I wasn't necessarily expecting to see on that album. Um, and just some of the phrases, like you can't talk to a man who's not willing to understand. Now being newly married is like, hey, that's a little bit true. <laughs> So, and that goes for all people, you know, when we're in our stubborn little moods, we're not willing to hear, but I love that she kind of put that in a comical kind of outlaw-ish picture. Hmm. Those are my three favorites. I, uh, I love that song, but it's, it's the second weirdest song on the album for sure. (laughs) Um, And it is like a clone of, um, uh, Jim Croce song Bad Leroy Brown yeah um, it's kind of like this this weird like I don't know like if everybody in the 70s was like "Ooh, we need to write a fictional song about like some BA who like comes into town and like nobody messes with them but like uh, yeah Smackwater Jack is like <laughs> it's like super uh, because all the other songs feel so like sincere and then this one comes out of le- left field and it's so fictionalized it's such a like a 
clear parody. But yeah, there's also something universal to it. It's got a great melody. Uh, it's very, it's very fun. Uh, but it's it's so strange to me. Uh, yeah, it is. It is strange, and I love that the. Uh, the chorus specifically in Smackwater Jack is so fun to me. Just like the stop and go rhythm of just uh, the piano works really well with the drum set, I think, there in the lyrics. That's, that is really funny, Liv. I'm glad you like that. What were you saying, Anne? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, when I listened to that song the first time, I was like, what is, what is this? I don't understand. And I didn't get that it's comedy, Olivia. And you did. And I actually looked it up. I'm like, what does this song mean? Like, Andrew and I were, I hope this is okay to say, but we were wondering if it was like a drug reference. Um, so I'm like, what does this song mean? And it, it is. It's, it's a fictionalized, lighthearted song about two kids living in Brooklyn and playing Western. Huh. And, and then I actually was like, oh, okay, well, then I dig it. <laughs> what is this smack that smack water jack is is accessing here what but yeah i so i thought that was i thought that was cool that you recognized that it was kind of like a light-hearted song and, and yeah it was because it was about two kids playing that is really good what were some uh what were some other tracks that stuck out to you and so i have three um, beautiful, probably that's probably like every girl's favorite, but um, beautiful is one of my faves. Um, I feel the earth move and will you love me tomorrow? Mm. So the first one I'll talk about is um, I feel the earth move. Um, it's just like a really happy, hoppy, poppy song. Um, I don't know, like when it first starts, when that when it comes in with the piano, you're like, okay, this song's going to rock. And then there's like a sick bass line that comes in and uh, it's just upbeat, kind of zappy, kind of boppy. Mm -hmm. There you go. <laughs> um, and, then the, and then the drums kick in and then her soulful um, vocals come in. Um, and I also read that this is one of the first songs that she wrote without her husband. Is it Jerry Goffin or Gary Goffin? I don't Jerry, know. Yeah. Jerry, yeah. Jerry, okay. I don't know. I, I guess maybe I really like it because I feel like it's her her independence coming through or something. <laughs> the, um, a fun fact about that song, Anne, is that there was a huge earthquake in California in February of 1971 when this album came out. Um, and the song was obviously already recorded and, and released by the time uh that the earthquake occurred and carol king later joked that like she's the only person that she's aware of that caused an earthquake <laughs> with one of her singles from her second oh. album so. oh my gosh i didn't know that that's so funny yeah. um and i just i also really like lyrics too like olivia um it's it's a song about eternal friendship and love um and i'm definitely a hopeless romantic and I remember listening to those lyrics and being like, man, I really hope I find someone that I feel that way about. Little did I know that a year or two later I would, my, my husband. Um, so that's why I really like I Feel the Earth move. Um, beautiful is just awesome for me. Um, early in life, I discovered that I'm really sensitive to what I listen to and what I see. So I have to be really careful about like what movies I watch um, and what music I listen to 
Um, and so it, it, this song, because I'm really sensitive to music, had a great impact on me. When I heard it, you know, I was kind of an insecure, dorky teen. And I remember hearing the the message being that beauty is coming from the inside and not the outside. Hmm. Um, and I had felt like such a nerd in high school. <laughs> um, I had friends that were always, you know, going on dates with boys. And I was the friend that the boys talked to about the dates. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, which now as an adult, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad it was like that because, you know, I, I didn't have to deal with drama or painful breakups, but, um, yeah, I, th I just think that the song, the lyrics still impact me as a female because there's such an, a pressure for a woman to look a certain way. And whenever I hear it, it's just a really positive message reminding me that we're all as beautiful as we feel, like Olivia said. Um, and then will you love me tomorrow? Um, she wrote that in 1960 for the Shirelles with her mm -hmm. hubby, her ex-hubby. Um, and I love this song because it's just so sweet and beautiful and melodic. And it's just so precious. And to me, it sounds like the words of, of a person in a brand new relationship with someone that they love so much. They already know that they love them but they feel vulnerable about it and they feel nervous about saying these words. Um, and the line, can I believe the magic of your size is just so reminiscent of that beginning stage of a relationship when you first meet that person and even the way that they breathe is just like, ah, oh, dreamy. <laughs> I, yeah. love, I just love everything about this person. Um, and my husband reminded me of this, that very, very early in our relationship, um, it would have been in 2003, I think, uh, early, yeah, early 2003, um, I made mixtapes for him mm. as a present. And I, I remember spending hours making these mixtapes for him, like, I mean, probably like 10 mixtapes. And on one of them, I put, will you love me tomorrow? And he said that he, when he first heard it, he was like, wow. Like he knew that it was a message from me to him without mm -hmm. actually saying it, without being vulnerable. And it was so true. I was telling him that I loved him without saying it like verbally because I was really nervous. Um, and so that song is still really special to both of us. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, I have a favorite song and then I have a song that I wish wasn't on the album. <laughs> um, and the song <laughs> that needs to go is tapestry. It's the weirdest song. It is so strange. I want to rename the song. Carol King drops acid and then modulates for three minutes and 13 seconds. Yeah. Um, like, I don't, I don't get it. I, I get that she's trying to be very poetic. I feel like her gift is making those concrete, universal, intimate moments 
I have no idea what in the hell is happening with this prince who's a frog and she wishes him well. It just feels like put this on the album with Puff the Magic Dragon and just give it to small children and or people who are high sitting yeah. on a rug out in the yeah. field somewhere. Okay. Um, the song I love, I love this song, is So Far Away. Um, to me, that longing, um, it showcases the, the best of her vocal strain um, in the middle when she's crooning. So far to see your face in my door. You know, um, I just think it's such a lovesick, wishing for a simpler time, wishing for the person that you want to be with. Um, at the end of the movie, um, what's that Pixar movie with the emotions that have emotions? Inside uh, Out. Inside Out, where they make the memory that's part joy and part sadness, and, and, the, and that emotion is called melancholy. Um, that's what this song is for me. It's like part joy, part sadness, put it together. It's beautiful. It makes me cry. I love this song so much. That's good. And I love it the most when uh, Nate and I's brains sync up because that was also my clear favorite. Um, and I, you know, I won't double up on anything you just said because I agree with all of it, but it just, uh, it resonates. And it's also just so singable, just like you said, like I probably have sang it way too much over the last couple of weeks, um, which is funny because, you know, like, uh, Doesn't it feel like a very 2020 song? Doesn't does. anybody stay in one place anymore? It's so good. It's just a great, oh. like, it's a, it's a snapshot uh, taken in 1970 that is true 50 years later of just like, what is the hustle and bustle all about? Right. Um, and I think that's something powerful that we can, if there's a silver lining to take out of this whole COVID crisis, is that um, there is an emphasis on slowing down and, and, and finding what is actually uh, meaningful in our lives. And uh, Carol singing that out, saying like, what in the world? Doesn't anybody just stay in the same place? And one thing that I love that kind of ties back to uh, what one of you guys mentioned earlier in the show was... Um, just the simplicity of, of her music. Um, and I love that I saw this live video of like back in like the early seventies of, it was a Carol King concert and it gets to the point where she goes, I'm gonna bring some friends out uh, to help me play this song, right? And it's James Taylor and some other guy I think was just, you know, a member of their band. Um, and I, the reason why I love it so much is because uh, She's just sitting at an empty stage, right? Because it's just like her and her piano. And JT comes out with his guitar and just like sits on the floor because there is like no chair for him or anything. So he sits on the floor and the bass guitarist that came out didn't have a strap on his guitar. So like behind him, he's dragging a chair. And so like, it was just like this really weird, like you paid money to go to a concert. You get this awesome bonus of James Taylor, but he just like, sits Indian style on the floor and this guy like brings a folding chair behind him just and they just play this one song and then they leave and I I just thought that was the funniest thing and it only enhanced my fandom of so far away so the great song I just want um, to add to so far away you guys mentioning that um that was kind of my fun fact of so far away specifically like just demonstrates how music can teach you so much about a time period hmm. i mean i just imagine during the 70s that's kind of when all this you know travel moving from 
not living in the same house your whole life kind of began. People started moving around and like going to different countries and stuff like that. And of course that was happening, you know, for years, but I just imagine that like hitting home to even older people of our generation currently hearing that song and remembering, yeah, this wasn't always what it was like. Mm. People were, they were your neighbor for life and they never moved and they were here and you could count on them. And that just looks so different now. And your, your loyalty to your friendships and your families look so different because people can be so far away. But Mm. I just love that, that songs can bring back memories like that. And that's, Mm. I'll, I'll save my next thought for later. No, that's really good. We know James Taylor plays a lot on the album. Um, but one of the things that he is credited for playing is the Grand Falloon. And I was like, what is that? So I did a deep dive and I discovered it's not actually, I thought maybe it was like a traditional musical instrument in like the in- maybe in an Indian culture or something like that. But it's not an instrument. It's a, fic- it's a fictitious religion in Kurt Vonnegut's 1963 Cat's Cradle. Um, And I'm just going to read the definition of of what a grand balloon is. It's a false cross, a group of people that believe they have a connection based on something that doesn't really exist. And so I got deep, and I thought because it was on the, the song, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow, maybe it's a joke because people believe they're connected by love, but maybe love doesn't actually exist. So it's a false cross. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Lastly, um, Olivia mentioned that Where You Lead was the intro song for the Gilmore Girls. Um, and I just wanted to piggyback off that and say that uh, Carol King re-recorded that with her real-life daughter, Louise. Mm-hmm. Nate, you hmm. knew that. Um, and she was also a guest star for three seasons, often on as a cranky music shop owner that lets one of the lead people learn how to play drums in there huh and yeah that's those are my fun facts you know i really love the gilmore girls fact that liv brought up and you uh expounded on because um you know i i was never a big fan of the show but my mom and sister were so i spent a lot of time growing up just with it in background noise uh and i guess i just never made that connection that the carol king song is the theme song until you guys just said it and my brain just went back you know 10 years and i was like oh my gosh that's exactly what the theme song to that show is that's so funny i, I never watched the gilmore girls but i have always been a big fan of alexis bladell i think she's gorgeous Hey, there you go cool my stuff. husband loves it he he's a dude but he loves it and we have watched probably all the episodes together um one of the one of the the only thing i'll contribute to the fun fact section is that i was reading a lot of like other artists who were very like uh inspired by carol king obviously she was like a hero to many um but i was reading an article in which they said that like she was so committed to mothering as well as like, you know, and I, t- I talked about this with Tyler before is like her humility comes through. She's not a diva. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like, you know, position herself as, a, as self-important or anything. Um, and there was an article that was talking about like in between songs in the recording studio, she would be like out on the couch breastfeeding her, her uh, newest uh, child. 
And there's just something about that that opened up her music to me, like without sounding too like new agey. There's like a mother energy to it. Like there's a maternal intimacy to it that I totally dig. Like now that I watched my wife mother our children, like I can recognize the like very like special nurturing energy affection intimacy that you can only have with a kid uh as as a parent and like that comes through somehow in the Mm. work like that energy of like all embracing welcoming all letting people come and um and nourishing them like that's in 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 the subtext somewhere of, of the whole album yeah that's really good Okay, well, I was just thinking um, when you asked the question to help us kind of prepare for this, if people in our generation, kids our age, we graduated from college in what, 2017, 2018? So not not super long ago. Um, So should people our age listen to songs like this? And my answer would be yes. And I kind of struggled with that for a little bit, honestly, because Truly, Carol, Carol King, as much as I really did enjoy listening to this, she's not my typical sound. She's not mm. the one I would typically choose to listen to. Um, I'm a lot more, I love Sarah Borelli's. I love Francesca Battistelli. I love the kind of folk pop type sound of more current day. Mm-hmm. But... I love that she kind of showed me how valuable listening to music of the past is because it really just time periods change. And I'm a counselor, so I look a lot at people's emotions and how they express it in different ways. And music is an amazing way for people Mm -hmm. to express emotions. And so to to kind of follow, this is how people expressed emotions in the 50s. This is how people expressed emotions in the 80s. And this is how people express emotions in 2020. It's very, very different. And I almost wouldn't just right off the bat understand someone's emotions from a different time period as me, unless I really gave effort into that. And so I think listening to songs and albums like this can really change our musical style in kind of a cool way. It can also just teach us a lot about people in different areas of life than us. And I think that's really important. Yeah, that's really, really good. Liv kind of just put on the host hat there for a second as she uh, answered my next question for me anyway. So that's really good. Uh, And so I'll, I'll, you know, ask Anne the same thing. should the younger generation be listening to Carol King's music and why? Yes, because um, I think it's really positive. Um, I think it's fun. I think that the production value still holds up. It's not like overly done. Um, there's no auto tune. There's no nasty lyrics. I'm a eighth grade science teacher. Um, and I know what my students listen to, <laughs> and it, it's just, it's rough. Um, and it's a whole album about friendship and love. I feel like she's a purist, and she plays the piano beautifully and sings soulfully. 
it's just good, clean, mellow music. Yeah, that's really good. And Nate, your thoughts? Why should kids listen to Carol King? Well, I think a lot of us go to music sometimes to be understood in a way that transcends words. You know, like I, uh, all the reason teenagers love music so much is because when you're a teenager, you don't feel very understood. Uh, and mm -hmm. so you find this solace in music. Um, and I think give any teenager, uh, male or female, Carol King's Tapestry, and they're going to feel understood, even though this is somebody writing 50 years ago. Um, because those, those feelings of, yeah, falling in love for the first time and being nervous whether it's going to work out with will you still love me tomorrow, or um, just the, the excitement of, of being in a relationship for the first time with like, I feel the earth move or um, you know, there's just all these other songs throughout the, that just, I feel very like, I felt seen and heard through listening to Tapestry. Um, it, it articulated some of my heart's longing, even though I didn't know it was in there until I heard the songs. You know, I do think it's definitely important for folks to listen to Carole King, and I think Tapestry is obviously the most accessible and would be the number one place I'd suggest to start uh, with Carole King's music. Um, but the funny thing is, um, is even if you, as we've talked about a lot on the show, even if you haven't heard of Carole King, uh, you've definitely already heard some of her songs. <laughs> and so... Uh, if you're wanting to, you know, if you're listening to the show and you're wanting to listen to older music, the cool thing is, is that she's one of the artists that you already know. Um, and so I think just going and doing your due diligence and listening to Tapestry is extremely important. And Liv, I think, really brought in a great point of just, um, I just think that there's value in listening to uh, where our music today came from. And Carol King was a trendsetter and an influencer of artists to come. And so even some of those artists that you were mentioning, Liv, or Nate has mentioned, they've definitely listened to Carol King and like there's similarities. And so it's, it's important to, they might sound different stylistically, uh, but the roots are the same. And I just think that's a really important thing um, when it comes to music. So Tapestry is definitely worth a listen and we strongly encourage you to uh, pop that on after the show. Um, I'm a massive Beatles fan, and I found that their paths did cross, Carole King and the Beatles, that she wrote um, on their first album, um, and she, yeah, she wrote a song for them called Chains yeah. on their first album, Please Please Me, and I thought that, I didn't know that, and I thought that was really cool. It's a fun uh, blending of worlds when you, when you see this uh, different artists work together that you love, so. That's awesome. Um, uh, here's my last parting thought. Got it. It's, this is important. Uh, the cat on the cover of the album. Uh, it's Carol King's cat, and his name is Telemachus. Uh, He's named after a first century Christian martyr who um, came to Rome for the first time and got caught up in the crowd and uh, was ushered into the Colosseum. And he saw these men uh, literally battling each other to the death. And Telemachus like runs, literally jumps the fence, runs into the Colosseum to stand in between these people 
who are slaughtering each other for the pleasure of Caesar. Uh, and Telemachus gets killed um, as a result of someone trying to slice another guy open. And um, the crowd that was previously cheering and jeering falls dead silent. And the, the unofficial history is that his death was the last death ever to occur in a Roman Colosseum because the sympathy of the people completely shifted when they saw an innocent man who was willing to give his life to prevent the death of others. Uh, and that from that point forward, um, murder was no longer a, a gladiatorial sport that people celebrated. Uh, so I don't know why she named her cat Telemachus, but that's his name. Um, and that's the story behind the name. And he's on the cover of the album. And I'm very glad we were able to squeeze that in. Thank you. <laughs> that's great. Well, all righty, y'all. That's going to do it for us today. I want to give a big special thank you to our two guests, Olivia and Anne. Thank you, ladies, so much for agreeing to come on the show and sharing your perspectives and just, you know, having a nice, fun conversation. It was awesome seeing you. It was awesome spending time with you. And I know that means a ton to myself as well as Nate, so thank you. And if you enjoyed what you heard this week, uh, have no fear. Come back in two weeks where Nate and I will be discussing a different artist that came out of the 70s folk rock genre uh, with some new friends. And we're really excited and looking forward to it. So uh, we encourage you to, after this, pop on Tapestry by Carol King. It's an album definitely worth a listen. And then tune in in two weeks where we'll be right back here. Because you know, at least for this summer, the forecast is always high of 70. An iconic album. Um, what? Why were you just doing that? I was weaving. Oh, okay, don't do that because now we have to start over. Oh, come on. It distracted me. I thought Barnum you were saying. Burger baskets, weaving, tapestries. I thought, I thought you were saying, like, I did something wrong. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Take two. Take two. I'm take sorry. Two.